0: Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Dugan, and this is The Change Code, a podcast empowering human beings to master change. This episode is about my three friends. It's funny, you know, I was doing a couple of trainings over the last couple of weeks, and I was talking about how I had three friends that had died over the last year, and two of them died of cancer, and one of them had killed themselves themselves. And it was so interesting. You know, life is interesting when you look at life from the perspective and what life can teach us. And years ago, in an earlier podcast, I was talking about how when my wife at the time had turned me on to this book called The Amazing Liver and Gallbladder Cleanse. And that was do the book or read the book. I did the book. And that year I got rid of 13,000 liver stones. And that year I proclaimed it the year of the cleanse. But what I don't think I said in that prior podcast is that I had blocked my gallbladder duct. And when I blocked my gallbladder duct, what happened is I woke up and, and Kristen had said, your eyes look yellow and your skin looks a little yellow. And then I went to work and I had to train a class that day. And I remember my supervisor had said that I looked like a superhero (laughs) and my eyes were yellow. And then somebody else said, dude, that's your liver. You need to get the hospital right now. You could die. And I had the fear of death at that moment. And with the fear of death, I could see the fear that that fear of death of myself had created in the people that loved me because they, you know were fearful of losing me i was fearful of losing my existence but they were fearful of losing me and i understood that i had to be strong at that moment that i didn't have the luxury of fearing my own death because i think they were more afraid of me dying than i was afraid of me being dying and i was afraid of dying by the way but you know perhaps they were more afraid so i felt that i didn't have the luxury of fearing my death because I had to be courageous for them. And so when I look at my two friends that died of cancer and and one of them had been fighting the battle for about 10 years and he had a lot of miracles and, and he never gave up and a lot of scientific, you know, cutting edge research, he would pray and he just had a huge circle of influence and people would pray for him and, And that positive energy, you know, certainly doesn't hurt. And he would live and recently he showed pictures of his grandson and he would, you know, just say how much he loved this little boy. And I saw a picture of him with a ukulele and, you know, they were watching a man with a ukulele playing and his little grandson was dancing and my friend was a big, handsome man. And he was just kind of rocking back and forth kind of dancing and and, you know, it's just very, very beautiful. And, and I don't know, that was a month or two before he died. And he left, you know, his children, his wife, and, and it takes so much courage, I believe, when your body's disappearing on you. And I think we all have to go through it in some way, shape, or form as you die. And then my other friend is, is a friend that I was you know, had more history with. And I I knew him as a young man. And this guy was just a physical specimen. There's a cartoon character named Popeye that was known for his forearms. And this guy had like Popeye forearms and Popeye calves. And he was an incredibly quick human being, an incredibly coordinated human being and ambidextrous. And he's the type of guy that could just sit in the living room and you could take a hacky sack and just kick it on one foot, and kick it to the other foot. Well, sitting down, casually having a conversation with seemingly zero effort, musically gifted, and, you know, just a very, very handsome human being. All the women loved him, and just a total alpha athlete, you know. And so I was there's definitely, if you hear a little jealousy in my voice, it's because, yes, maybe there's a little jealousy there. And I remember I was in Medford, Oregon, and I had to have a tooth that day and and I talked to him and he said he had this lump in his belly and we were talking about that and he had to go in and get it scanned and he wasn't sure what it was but you could kind of hear the uncertainty and then it became cancer and and he had ended up fighting the cancer fight for about two years and it was just interesting because I would help him you know, with his emotions periodically or help release him or, or watch his mood he'd text me back in good spirits and, and it was funny, you know, I felt obligated not obligated, but I felt like I wanted to go to Facebook and just acknowledge him because I thought he was such a beautiful man and he'd gone through a lot of challenges in his life in relationships and working with family and those challenges grew him you know i heard somebody say that pain is the great persuader that is without the pain we wouldn't be persuaded to change and he you know became a very wise man a very giving man a very um logical man in his understanding and kind with his human nature through all the pain and So as I watched him go, you know, he seemed to go quite magnanimously, you know, courageously, uh, just very, very stoically as he was going. And I left that post on Facebook talking about him. And and then I texted him one day, a text message after he died. And I said, Ron, I know you're, you're gone. And I just want to let you know how much I appreciate you. And uh, if one of your family members read this, you know, just how much, you know i loved you and then one day I, I was looking at the messages and somebody put a heart you know a, a like heart on the text message and you know, it was probably his wife but it felt symbolic that it was from him simultaneously and and so it was a beautiful moment recently he had a birthday and i looked at you know i i he was gone but in facebook sometimes when people are gone they still have birthdays and I went back and, and looked at some of his photos and and I saw you know months before he died and I saw him and he looked now he was approximately a 60-year-old man uh, alpha physical specimen and he looked like he was 110 years old he was so skinny and so frail he wasn't not even a shell of himself you couldn't not even recognizable maybe the bone structure a little bit on the face and he had a newborn grandbaby that he was holding on to. So on one side you're seeing this life and the other side, you're seeing this death and you're seeing that this man is still courageous, still in the game, you know, looking at this little baby while he's, he's dying. And you know, and I don't know what type of contemplation that would give him as he's going through his last few minutes. And, and, but he was just beautiful human being and I think about the amount of courage that a person that has cancer you know with my mom watching her when she died with cancer or other people with any sort of a terminal illness they have to have this level of courage to some degree as they go through and they face their mortality and then I have this other friend and this is the one that had killed himself and and I, I say all managers are not created equal And anybody that has to work for different managers, they understand this because invariably you get the one you like the most and the one you like the least, and maybe the one in the middle. And whenever I would teach all managers are not created equal, I would think about this guy because this was the guy I liked the most. This is the guy, he was also a very attractive human being. The women loved him. His wife, when I met his wife, his wife was one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met inside but also outside and definitely just a beautiful beautiful woman and my friend you know years ago he he had asked me you know for kind of coaching I think he more wanted just to be hang out with me than he wanted coaching being invited to his house for dinner and got to spend time he's the type of guy that when his child was young he'd take dog food and put it in a bag and put it in his child's dog food, just to, to play with the child. So the child, thinking they're going to have a bag of carrots or a bag of cookies, and they'd see dog food, and they go, what? And that was dad having fun with, with his child. And a, about a month or two ago, I heard that he had died, and and he had killed himself. And I knew that he suffered with some depression. I knew he suffered with some uh, tendency. I don't know that he was an alcoholic, but I, I, I witnessed that he did like alcohol. And... And I know that he had went through a divorce, and and when he killed himself, you know, I don't judge him for that. I I don't know what happens to a person after that happens. I cannot pretend to, to, you know, condemn him to anything. I just know he is probably in a lot of pain, and a lot of pain that bring him to that point of decision to do that, especially when he's thinking about, you you know, the repercussion of leaving his daughter who just graduated from, you know, college, like two weeks later, or maybe a month later. And I, am sure that had to cross his mind, but he was so painful. He chose to, to let go of himself anyway. And then killing yourself, I believe takes a lot of cow, a lot of courage too. You might say it's a coward's way out. You might say it's easy way out. But I mean, at some level, you know, I've heard a lot of people say I'm too cowardly to kill myself or that it does take, you know, it's, it, there's a finality there. And I know sometimes in studies that I've, I've read or learned that a person that does come to that point that they don't have, feel that their life is worth that they don't have a purpose, they're in themselves and they don't have a justifiable reason. Life is too painful. They believe life is more painful to live than it is to not live. And so those three friends over the last year, you know, had a very, very interesting effect on my psychology of witnessing the courage that they had during their life and the courage to continue to exist or not continue to exist in the latter case. And then I was training a class in California last week and there's this one man you know, just like you want to know your audience, you want to communicate to them and different audiences in different parts of our country communicate differently. And the first time I trained in LA, I was kind of just figuring out the Los Angeles audience and and this guy was in that class. And then I did another class he was in it and I saw him on Facebook about a year ago. And one thing that was memorable about this guy, and there's a couple things memorable, but one that was memorable, is that he had five kids and they were all sons and about a year ago his wife had died of cancer and i noticed in facebook that he had bought a boat and that him and he had pictures of him and his boys out boating and every time i saw that it brought me inspiration and it brought me you know my stuff became small knowing that this guy lost the love of his life And still had to continue existing for these boys. And when I saw him, I I asked him into a room he's in the training center, and and to step outside. And I just said, "I'll call him Charlie." Said, "Charlie, I, I know you know. I'd heard about your wife, and I just want to let you know how sorry I am." for the loss of, of your wife. I, I couldn't even imagine, you know, how painful it was. And then that you still have to show up for your boys. And I see you on Facebook, still buying, you know, a boat and going out on the lake with your boys and still showing up for your boys and that amount of courage you have. And, and he looked at me and just said, it is hard. It, it is hard. And And I could just feel the weight of his words and for me, uh, I let him know that, you know, he was an inspiration to me. And he said that I was an inspiration to him. It was, it was beautiful and reciprocal. You know, at the highest form, you want it to be reciprocal, mutually beneficial, win-win, life. And, and I said, every time you post a, a, a post on Facebook with you and your boys, it inspires me but i don't think it just inspires me i think it inspires everybody and when you see these these people you know my two friends that had cancer and they're still showing up or i have a friend where i go you know I, another friend that's dying of cancer and he's showing up and he's courageous and and he's living in this example that you know my friends gave me all three of them, you know, or the fourth one, include the gentleman I called Charlie. The, the examples just don't stop, you know, and it goes back to when my father, I was in Canada doing a training recently, and my dad, I was a very rebellious young, young man. I, I, I put an identity on my dad that my dad was kind of controlling, I felt this weird energy whenever my dad got home between this tension between my mom and my dad. And my dad was in the Marines, and and it just felt maybe a little controlling. But I was, I was an out-of-hand kid, so I'm not telling the story from multiple perspectives. I'm saying this selfish, little, rebellious young man didn't like his dad in high school. And, but then I grew to love my dad, and, You've already heard this story hopefully a couple times about how my dad impacted me when I was 18 years old and took me to that motivational speaker, Norman Vincent Peale, and then had took me to those five day seminars, Eston Insight, and that they had a dramatic effect on me and I believe they shifted my consciousness and they took me on a new course correction. And one thing that I I share that with people because don't give up on your kid because my dad didn't give up on me and even though it seemed inevitably that I was going down the wrong path, my path switched as a result of my father inserting me into those seminars and that information into me at that age. So you never know when the student will be ready and the teacher will appear and what manner the teacher will come to you. But then my father had spent years of life of just being a happy man and optimistic and, you know, logical and intelligent and... and you know, he just made a level of, of of logic to me and a level of optimism, and he wasn't like super high or low, and definitely wasn't mean-spirited. It was very emotionally mature and logically, and definitely had a degree of consciousness about him, and now he's 86, he turned 87 a couple weeks ago, and, and back to when I was in Canada, talking about how my dad is so optimistic, and it's not a surprise that I'm optimistic, because of my dad. And my mom wasn't necessarily optimistic, but she definitely wasn't necessarily pessimistic. She might have had a little worry, but she was a beautiful, beautiful being sociologically and emotionally, also had an emotional maturity. But my father was definitely would always say, good, great, you know, how you doing? Great. And he would, you know, have this logical spin on things and exercised and took reasonably good care of himself has been sober his whole adult life and, and and he goes to he goes to Mexico at 86 years old he'll go to Mexico and help kids with cleft palates kids with cleft palates and then he has a dog that's dying and i'm looking at my dog right now and my greatest love affairs have been with dogs period Dogs break my heart more than ladies, you know? And, and my heart gets broken with ladies, but dogs break my heart more. They're more unconditionally loving, they're kinder, you know? And, and so my dog, my dad's dog is dying. Oh so, this little Australian Shepherd. And and I'm watching my dad, you know, how he's processing. You know, his dog is dying, getting old, barely wants to walk, quality of life. You know, how long do we keep him alive? All of those questions come in. And then he has a girlfriend that goes to Wisconsin, and. She takes the dog. So maybe my dad saw the dog for the last time. And he had to have that, that emotional, you know, feeling of letting go. And I asked my dad, you know, I talked to him before his girlfriend had taken Oso, the dog to Wisconsin recently. I said, dad, how you doing? He said, well, I was trying to put socks on Oso's feet, but I couldn't bend down to put the socks on Oso's feet. So I sat down in a chair to put socks on Oso's feet. That's so the old dog didn't slip on the linoleum and break his hips or legs. And he said, I still couldn't reach down and put the socks on Oso's feet. And, but he was happy the whole time he shared this with me, kind of laughing at himself. When I said to the audience in, in Canada that my dad is showing me how to die. My dad has given me the blueprint of how to die and still be engaged and still be loving life and including my dad the five people that I've spoken of the two friends that died of cancer the friend that killed himself the friends that his wife had died they're all showing me how to live life their, their example all of their examples are giving me gifts every one of those examples are are teaching me things. They're they're allowing me to become a better human being, allowing me to be more adaptable, allowing me to be more thankful for my health, more thankful for what I have, more empathetic to people in emotional situations. Just so much can be learned. And so when I grew up, there was a show called My Three Sons. If you're not a if you're under 50 years of age, you probably won't know what it was, but, but it had a, a unique little jingle and my three friends that had died, and I still love them and I still like them and I, they're still in my memory and I still communicate with their, you know, that memories. And of course my dad, knock on wood, and of course my dear friend Charlie, this beautiful human being. So if you like this podcast, do me a favor and share it. And if you like this podcast, do me a favor and rate it. And remember, how you do anything is how you do everything. And everything matters. And that means you. You matter. Have a wonderful day.